five six days a week and then we come here on Sunday and, and yes the old joke that many people say you settle one spirit for five days and you settle another spirit on Sunday uh, not exactly true but I understand the humor they're trying to make um, so I was at work this week <laughs> interesting thing happened the other day it happens a lot actually quite often at work and, and those of you that work in retail could probably may be able to relate to this it happens all the time. A customer will come up to me and go, oh, excuse me, mate, can you help me find this particular product that I'm looking for? Now, I work at, at Dan Murphy's down there in Ballina and, and there's, a hundred, there's thousands of bottles and shapes and sizes and, and labels and all kinds of things and, and it can be a little bit distracting hard to find the one particular thing that people are looking for. But it never ceases to amaze me how often people are standing. I've had customers leaning on the very product. They're leaning on it. And they'll say to me, look, mate, I'm, I'm looking everywhere. I cannot find blah. And what I want to do is go, well, come for a walk with me and do a full 360 of the shop just so they don't feel stupid when I go, see that thing you're leaning on? See that bottle you're touching? That's, that's actually the product uh, that, that you're after. So I had an experience of that this week. When a customer came on in, he said, oh, mate, can you, can you help me find blah, blah, blah? <laughs> and, uh, you know, I had to do the same thing. You mean that one that you're standing next to? Oh, yeah, that's it there. Ha, <laughs> ha. He had a bit of a laugh and he made this comment to me. He said to me that, um, uh, you know, with all the distractions, everything going on, he said, you know what, the thing that you want, it's always in the last place that you look. It's always in the last place that you look. It got my brain thinking for the remainder of the week about that statement. It's always in the last place that you look. And I started to reflect my own life and my own journey with God and you know what? I reckon I could almost have that put on my tombstone when I, when, I, when I pass away. It was always in the last place that he looked. And I'm talking about God. I'm talking about my relationship with God. Usually, whether I hate to admit it, but there are many, many times in my life where the last place I look for anything is God. I look to so many other things. I look to my own natural human resources. I look to my own skills and my own abilities. I look to my own talents. I may look to my own intellect to work things out. But the last place I look quite often can be God. The last place that we look for answers can quite often be God. God has answers. How many of you believe God has answers to problems? How many of you believe that God has solutions to difficulties? But yet we get ourselves in a situation and we spend so much time trying to resource or find solutions, answers elsewhere, and we don't go first and foremost to the answer giver, God himself. Sometimes the last place we look for help can be God. Sometimes the last place we look for guidance and direction in life can be God. We've got a situation, we've got two doors open before us. We're trying to work out which one to go to. Uh, trying to work out uh, what course of action to take. Should I go to this university? Should I go to that university? What should I do with my life? Should I accept this invitation? Should I, should I be spending time with this group of people? Is, is this a good friendship? Should I? And we try to rationalise it. We try to work it all out and we thrash it out in our heads and we don't go to God. Yet God has answers. Sometimes the last place we look for peace can be God. I know when you sit down and you talk to a lot of people that have put their faith in Christ, a lot of people will tell you, I tried drugs and I tried alcohol and I tried relationships and I tried fame and I tried, and I tried everything else to find peace. And the last place I looked was the very place that I found peace. I wonder how much time we could save in our life if we went to God first. 
if we actually had it ingrained in our DNA, if we actually made it our default setting in life, to first of all, let's go to God. I mean, let's, let's think about this rationally. If we genuinely believe the story of the Bible, if we genuinely believe that God said, let there be and there was, that there was nothing and that God created everything just out of the words of his mouth, he said, let there be light and there was, let there be this. If we genuinely believe in that God, if we believe in a God that could flood the earth, if we believe in a God that can crack mountains in half, if we believe in a God that can heal lepers, if we believe in a God that can raise the dead, if we believe in a God that can, can throw stars up into the heavens, if we believe in a God that can send a small group of people, untrained soldiers, up against a massive army, a whole nation, and defeat them. If we believe in this kind of God, and I'm going to make a bold assumption here this morning, I don't know you all, but if you have surrendered your life to Jesus, I'm going to make a bold assumption that you're believing in that God I'm describing. Amen? You're believing in that God, a supernatural, powerful, interactive God. If we truly believe in that God, how strange is it that our natural default in pressure times and hard times, even in the good times, is to go to other things and not go to him. Isn't that funny? I would have thought that the minute I got saved, that my default would change and I would... And you know what? Here's the interesting thing about it. It did. When I first came to Christ, everything was so exciting and everything was so new and so amazing. It was this other side of life. I got saved when I was 19 years of age. I wasn't brought up in a Christian home or a church family. I didn't know anything about God or that side of spiritual life. It was just life was life, you know? And all of a sudden, I meet Jesus. You know what? I used to, when I think back at myself, I'm almost embarrassed at how bold and upfront and confident I was to talk about God and share God and declare the goodness of God and speak the promises. You know what? I'm almost embarrassed about that. But you know what? That tells me I've moved quite a distance away from where God wants me to be. Because God wants me to be that person. God wants me to be excited about him. God wants me to be confident enough to not just have a private faith, but to declare God to people. He wants me to be confident enough to hang on to his word and go, yeah, the world says this in my situation, but you know, I'm going to declare this is what the word of God says about me. I'm going to believe the truth of God, even though I may not see it right now, I'm going to believe this truth over and above any other truth that's investing itself into my world right now or trying to get into my personal space. That was the kind of faith I had. And when I reflect and think about that, and, I, and if I'm honest, like I said, I'm almost embarrassed of that person why am I embarrassed of that person? Because somewhere along the journey, I've lost something. Things have changed. All of a sudden, God is now not the first thing I go to. Maybe, maybe the first thing I go to is, well, let's face it, we get saved and we start reading this book. We get into the Word of God and we start to understand it. And you know, we, we, all, we, all do, we start memorizing scriptures and we start to, and we build up our knowledge of, of the Word of God. We build up a base of of, of Bible inside of our spirit. And it's a wonderful thing, and we should do it, and it's right to do and we build it up. But I wonder whether at some point, maybe we get to a place where we start to lean and depend on my knowledge of God as opposed to my relationship with God. And I go straight to the knowledge and the information I have about God 
but don't go to the living, vibrant, active God that saved me when I didn't know him at 19 years of age. Maybe a little bit like the Pharisees. You know, the Pharisees in the, in the, in the New Testament. By the way, the Pharisees aren't all bad. We have this picture they're all evil with horns and fangs. and They weren't. But one of the things the Pharisees had was this incredible knowledge about God, this incredible base of knowledge and information. I mean, some, some of these, the, the, the Jewish Pharisees and the scribes, the teachers of the law, they had the first five books of the Bible memorised. I'm flat out memorising five verses in a row. They memorised the first five books of, 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 of the Old Testament were committed to memory. Many of them, they could tell you, where's this? Where's, they could just tell you, blah, blah, blah. You know, when Herod, when, uh, when, when, when Jesus was born and, and the king came to them and said, where is he to be born? One of, the, one of the teachers of the law said, oh, that's easy. It says in this book he's going to be born here, blah, blah, blah. That's how, that's how the king knew where Jesus was born because one of the teachers of the law. He didn't have a strong concordance to go to and go, well, let me find the number in the verse. Oh, here it is, it must be. Oh, yeah, that's the one there. They just, they knew it. They had it committed. But yet when the living God appeared in their presence, they missed him. Completely missed him. The very one that their knowledge base that was teaching them about, that their knowledge base was pointing them to, that very one appeared in the flesh in front of them and they didn't see him. They couldn't see him. Interesting. Sometimes the last place we look for healing and deliverance can be God. Hear my heart in this. I'm not against courses. I'm not. I'm matter of fact, I believe that, that God has given great men and women knowledge and information. And I believe in science. Science reveals so many wonderful things. God has given us uh, human beings on planet Earth with great brains who can work things out scientifically. The truth is good science simply confirms what the Bible already says. Okay? I'm not afraid of science. I'm not afraid of smart people, intellect. Um, but God has given us these things. You know, I believe in doctors. I believe in the medical profession. I believe that God, in his grace and mercy, knew that only a small amount of people are probably going to come directly to me for healing. A lot of people won't. But how many of you know God loves unsaved people just as much with the same passion as he does us? He loves them. And so I look at medical, uh, the medical profession and go, that's the grace of God. For, for, for nations and nations and nations of peoples that right now are not going to bow to Jesus and go, can you heal me? So God goes, all oh, well, I still want to heal you. I still want to bring healing to the world. I still want to make people better. So we have this wonderful thing called the medical profession. And I believe in doctors and I believe in the medical profession. I believe in all these things. But you know what? I still believe that the first place I should go for healing and for deliverance is bring it to the cross first and go, Jesus. From that place, I believe God will direct my path. God will then say, right, here's what I'm going to do. I want you to go and get prayer. Maybe God will say, I want you to go to the hospital. Go to the hospital. Please seek medical advice. I hate these... Um, uh, and, and we lived in India for a period. And so I've seen... We used to host uh, these big international evangelists would come to our city and we would work and we would organise the big rallies and things. I would... I cringe every time I hear a preacher or a, 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 a evangelist or ever saying, go away and throw away your medication. I cringe at that. I cringe at it. You know what you should do? Go away and seek God. Go and pray to God. If God himself speaks to you and says do it and you're convinced that that's God 
and that you've done the right thing biblically, what it says in the Bible, confirm it by two or three other witnesses. Don't just go and go to other people. Will you pray with me? Will, this is what I'm asking the Lord. What are, you, what are you thinking? Go to people you trust. Get confirmation. And if that's God, the word of the Lord to you, do it. Otherwise, please, please, don't anyone in this church ever tell someone, throw away your medication. Please don't do that. But encourage them to go to the Lord and ask God. But isn't it funny, we, we, we move away from these things and we go to all these other things before we go to God. I believe that when we pray, and, and this course that we're running at the moment, um, Break Free. We're running a course at the moment. The ladies are going through a course called Break Free at the moment. And you know, I'm hearing the testimonies of, of different ladies. And God is doing amazing things. But, but you know, we didn't just decide, let's just run a course. Well, because we've got lots of ladies and we need them to do something, so let's just run a course. We prayed. We felt the Lord say, it was confirmed outside, yes, let's do this, this course is right. And then Jackie got up and presented it. And presented it to the ladies of the church. Pray. Ask God, should you do it? Some said yes, some said no. The ones who said yes aren't more spiritual or better than the ones who didn't do it. It's just that God wanted these ones to do it and he didn't want those ones to do it. Maybe these ones might do it next time. Maybe they'll never do it. It's okay. But it's God. It's learning to go to God first. When we got saved, we went to God. Somewhere along the line, we can just lose that simplicity of going to the Father and we start going to all these other things. And, you know, most of them are good things. They're not bad things. They're good. But I believe God wants a church that comes to him first, gets their instructions from him, listens to his voice, cultivates that relationship and then goes out there into the world and does what he's saying, does what he's leading them to do. Sometimes the last place we look for self-worth and value can be God. We look for self-worth and value in our image. Do I wear the right clothes? Do I, do I look cool? Do I play the right sport? I was watching The Voice the other night, um, or last night. I, was, I didn't finish work till quarter past half past nine last night. I came home and there was a rerun of The Voice. Was that last night? Rerun of The Voice on. And there was a big Maori, I don't know if he's a big Maori looking dude, pretty solid, tough guy. And the next thing, you know, they interview him before they go up there and he's talking about his life. And then next thing he's talking about how he plays netball. And they showed a scene of this big, tough Maori in his netball thing, playing netball, you know. I thought, fantastic. I actually commented to Jackie, he said, isn't that strange? We're promoting women's rugby league teams. I'm not saying that I love women's rugby league. I, 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 my daughter's not playing rugby league. I'll leave it at that. But, but women want to play rugby league, they're playing rugby league. Isn't it great to see a guy confident to go, I want to play netball. Good on you. Be comfortable in your own skin. Good on you, mate. Probably not the coolest thing. I'm sure that probably all his mates do. Well, looking at the size of him, his mates probably didn't were too scared to say anything anyway. But um, we look for self-worth and value in all these other... Things. Maybe the crowd we hang around with. You know, maybe we try to find value and self-worth <coughs> in the crowd. Maybe we try to find it in other things. And the list goes on and on and on and on and on. You know, yesterday I was speaking to a, a young girl. I invited her to church. She didn't come along this morning and it's fine. Young girl I work with and she came into work and she was really frazzled. And so I told her to go out the back, have 10 minutes, try to pull yourself together. And if you can't, I'm going to have to send you home. It's difficult because she needs money and she's a casual but she couldn't be there. She was going through some stuff and just couldn't cut. 
So I had to go to her after the 10 minutes and go, look, I'm going to have to send you home. I'm sorry, I know, and I'll try to see if I can get you in some other time, help you with the money, but you just can't be here right now. And then she begins to pour out her heart and tell me all these different things. I've got this going on, that going on, I've tried this. And she made this statement to me. She said, I've actually run out of places to go. She said, I've got nowhere else to go. It was difficult because I'm at work, I'm a manager, I'm not allowed to say to her, why don't you come to Jesus, (laughs) you know? So what I did is I just involved her in conversation. What are you doing tomorrow? Oh, I'm not doing, oh, yeah. She said, what about you? You work? And I said, oh, I am working, but I'm not working here. So I'll be working at my other job tomorrow. She says, oh, yeah. I heard a bit about that. What's that? I said, yeah, I run a church. And she says, oh, really? Yeah. Oh, okay. So why don't you come along? Yeah, oh, oh, oh. so I used to go to a youth group, but I, I went to the youth group because it was, they did a lot of fun things. I wasn't really into the spiritual stuff, the religious stuff. I'm not really into the religious stuff either, but why don't you come along to church, you know? Here's a girl confessing with her own mouth. I've, I've looked everywhere. I've gone everywhere. I haven't turned to God yet, but I've tried everywhere else and I can't find any of these solutions and any of these things. One day, prayerfully believing, she will turn to Christ. She will turn to faith. She said, I've got nowhere else to go. Let me tell you this. One of the reasons we fail to receive all these things from God is that we never position ourselves to see or to experience God. We don't position ourselves to see and to experience God. I don't know about you, but I'm not happy with the Christianity of theories and philosophies. Philosophies sound wonderful, but they don't touch me in here. Theories sound great, but I can take my theories out there into the world and there'll just be another voice. It's just another theory. It's just another sound, another noise, another thing for them to think about. Oh, Confucius said. Oh, Jesus said. Oh, the church said. I believe in a supernatural God. I believe in a God that wants us to encounter him, a God that wants us to be with him, a God that wants us to experience him, not just intellectually, but he wants us to feel in our heart, his love. He wants us to experience and feel grace, what that feels like. He wants us to know his presence, that he is with us. I'm not talking every time that you open your eyes, you should be having goosebumps. I can tell you, I can probably count, I've been saved now for 26 years roughly, 25 years somewhere. I can probably count on two hands the amount of times I've had those moments where you go, oh gee, that was... You know, it doesn't happen like that all the time. But I'm very, very aware on the inside of me that God is with me and that God is leading me. And I see things and I encounter things and experience things and I can very quickly go now, that's God. That's God. That was God. That's God encouraging me. That's God speaking strength into me. That's God showing, that's God answering that question that I took to him. We need to position ourselves if we want to see and experience God. I can't find anywhere in the Bible where the book of Acts ended. It didn't end. Fortunately, the God we see in there, people think that that God is different now. You know, the only thing that's changed is not God. God is the same God in the book of Acts as what he is today in the year 2016 at Ganelabah. But when I read about the church, 
in the book of Acts. And I look at maybe the church today, maybe that's, maybe that's the lesson. Maybe there's a difference in there somewhere. When I see the passion and the zeal and the commitment over here and I look over here where I don't, I'm not making judgments at all. Or I'm just going back to this book here and going, well, Lord, when I read about that church and I see what you did through that church, I'm challenged. I'm challenged. Lord, how do I get back to this? How do I become that church? Me personally, how do I become that person? How do I engage with you, God, in such a way that you will engage with me in such a way that we will change the world for Jesus? I think it's worth thinking about. I want you to imagine something. Imagine Jesus walked into the room right now. He walks up to you, he introduces himself, then he extends his hand to you. You take his hand and you shake it. You know that's already happened? Did you know that's a picture of what's actually happened already in the world? Jesus walked into the room. God came to earth as a man in the form of Jesus. He walked into the room and then he walked up to you. He got your personal attention and then he extended his hand to you one day. You might have been six, you might have been 15, you could have been 30, 50, could have been 80. I don't know what age you first met Jesus. But he walked up to you and he got your personal attention. He came into the world and then he came up to you. And then he put out his hand to you and said, I'm inviting you to fellowship with me. And at some point you put your hand out and you took his. And you engaged with him and you shook hands. And you entered into what we call, you became born again. You became a Christian. You were saved. How many of you know that to build a relationship, it takes more than just an introduction? Does that make sense? It takes more than just an introduction. And I wonder how many of us have walked up to Jesus, had him walk up to us, He's looked us in the eye, we've looked back at him, he's put his hand out and said, I'm Jesus, nice to meet you, would you like to meet me? And you put your hand out and you said, yes, I'd like to meet you, and you shook his hand, and then that was the end of it. And then we just go through life with the assurance that yes, you are saved, yes, you are going to heaven, but has there been a developing of that relationship? How many of you know to build a relationship, there needs to be dialogue? There needs to be some form of ongoing communication in order for a relationship to build. It would have been no good for me to walk up to my wife and go, Hi, Jackie, my name's Alan. Would you like to marry me? Yes, fantastic. And then that's it. Don't laugh. We've got our rings. We're married. What's wrong with that? We don't have to talk, do we? No one told me that. She asked me 22 years ago, did I love her? I said, yes. If anything changes, I'll let her know. How stupid. It's a dialogue. And, and, and you know what? It's not a monologue. It's not one person sits there and talks. Some of us have that kind of relationship with God. It's this monologue. It's like, okay, well, Jesus, I'm going to come to you and pray. I'm going to tell you everything I want, tell you everything you should be doing, tell you everything you need to do, tell you all my problems, and then I'm just going to walk away. I'm not, listening, I'm not interested in hearing from you. Hey, you just listen to me. I'll tell you. If I need your opinion, I'll ask for it. And I'm not asking yet. That's not the other way around too. God doesn't want to sit there and just speak, speak, speak and you sit there doing nothing. He wants you to take what he's saying to you. Do something with it. There's a relationship here. 
Over the next few weeks, I want to talk about this issue of discipleship, relationship with God. Getting saved is just the beginning. We have an assurance, we have peace, we're going to heaven, the Spirit of God comes upon us, fills our life, it's wonderful, it's great, but God wants us to build a relationship with him, go a bit deeper with him. This is what the early church did. They didn't just encounter Jesus. They went on and they built a strong relationship with God. And there are things in the book of Acts and there are things in the letters in the New Testament that show us that. And over the next few weeks, we want to sort of unpack that and look at that a little bit. This morning, I just want to lay a little bit of a foundation for us. It takes more than a handshake to have a relationship with God. In John 17, 3, it says this, And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the one true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Did you know you already have eternal life? How many of you know that? How many of you are waiting to die to then enter into eternal life? You have eternal life now at your disposal. You see, a lot of us think that eternal life happens when I leave this body and I go and be in the presence of Jesus. Guess what the message of the New Testament is? You are in the presence of Jesus now. You're there now. You're with God now, the minute you got saved. That's what it says. This is eternal life, that they may know you. So when you come to know him, you have walked into, stepped into eternal life now. I'm not waiting. All that's going to happen one day, I'm going to leave this shell of mine, all right? And, and, you know, that'll be a good thing. I'm getting soft jelly bit around here. There's things happening to this body at the moment. I can't control them. Just I'm getting flabby. I'm, I'm wearing glasses now and I read at home. Not here yet. I'm... Good thing with the tablet, you just make the letters bigger by doing this. So, you know, there's all kinds of things happening. And one day I'm going to leave this body and it's going to be a joyous thing and I'm going to be in the presence of God and I'll see God and he'll see me. But why wait for that relationship then when the Bible says I can have it now? I can have that relationship with God now. I can encounter God now. Now, that word know, it says this is eternal life that they may know you. In Matthew one twenty five, that word is used to describe the fact that Joseph never had sexual relations with Mary before the birth of Christ. It's the exact same Greek word, but he did not have sexual relations. The Greek word there is the exact same word used for know in this passage, gnosis. And it literally means not just a knowledge in your head, but it means an encounter. Knowledge in the New Testament is not about information. Knowledge in the New Testament is about experience. When you read in the Bible in the New Testament about knowing something, it's about experience. It's about having an encounter. When the Bible says that they knew God, it meant they not just knew him in theory or had information about him, it meant they had an encounter with him. They experienced God in their world. Eternal life is about experiencing God experiencing Jesus Christ, whom the Father sent. It's an ongoing relationship, an unfolding experiential thing, whereby we get to know God more and more. It's not just something that is, is, is there, a philosophy in our head to comfort us, thinking that, well, it's okay, this life might stink right now, but one day in the by and by I'll be up in heaven with Jesus. If you have given your heart to Christ, yes, that is true. But man, you're missing out on so much more down here. You know, when you get to heaven, God's 
God's not going to need to, to work on you because you won't have that sinful, you'll be fine. When you get to heaven, God's not going to need you to do anything for him. He's not going to want you to knock on the door of your neighbour and say, do you know about this? Oh, hang on, we're in heaven. You already know. Sorry, my bad. Force of habit. God's not going to say to you, I want you to get your wings and fly to the far reaches of heaven and declare the gospel. Oh, hang on, they're in heaven already. They must know me. God wants us to experience and encounter him down here right now. You can't build a strong relationship with God on the basis of an introduction alone. It takes more. It takes more. Salvation, everything was done by God. Everything. He did everything. You cannot add to your salvation. You cannot take away from your salvation. You cannot do anything, anything to get yourself right with God. We know that. We sung about it this morning, amazing grace. It's all God. And anything that, that anyone tries to say that, that you need to, you know, you, you know, before you come to Christ, you need to stop practicing this sin. Well, that's not grace. That's not God. Well, before you come to Christ, now Jesus really loves you. He wants you to come to him. But before you can come to Christ, you need to get off the drugs, man. No, that's not the gospel. Before you come to Jesus, you need to stop sleeping around. No, that's, that's not the gospel. Before you can come to Christ, you two couple over, you need to get married or we can't have you. No, that's not the gospel. Before you come to Christ, you need to look at you. That, that's not the gospel. The good news of Christ is that you come as you are and the process of encounter and building of relationship, God tweaks away at you. I know lots of people I've seen in my life who come to Christ and they genuinely, genuinely encounter God. He extends his hand, they take, they shake it, the relationship is there, they're going to heaven. But they don't change. Nothing changes. At all. Now one of two things are either happening. Either God's okay with your life, he's fine with it, and he just doesn't care, or you're just not interested in building a relationship and letting God get closer and you getting closer. And that interaction, that knowledge, that experience of you and God and him changing you, conforming you into the image of his... You're not, that's not happening. So salvation is by grace alone, but we build a relationship together. Amen? There are things I can do and things I must do in my world, this side of heaven, if I'm deadly serious about building a relationship with God. A relationship does not just happen on any level, period. You don't just form a, you know what, I'm just going to form a relationship with you. We have to talk to each other. I don't want to know where you live. I don't want to know about your wife, your kids, your family. I'm not going to tell you nothing about me. But we're going to have a great relationship, you and me. It's going to be wonderful. Looking forward to it. How, how, many, how often or how many times without, without... I'm trying to paint... I'm trying to paint graphic word pictures here to get us to understand where we're going with this. Is it making sense? We need to be active in building a relationship. A relationship is not built on introduction alone. We know each other, but do we really 
experience each other. Do we really know each other? It's a bit like surfing. Anyone surfed in this room? No? I, I, I haven't for a few years now and even less since the Great Whites started swimming up and down our, our shores. But when I was younger, I used to surf. And one of the things about surfing is that you get out there and you paddle out there on a good day, getting out the back, getting in the water is just, it's, anyone can get in the water. But you've got to get yourself positioned in the right spot where the waves are breaking in order to actually enjoy the whole experience. Get yourself in the right position to catch that wave. It's amazing when you go out there surfing, you'll see a handful of people, you see a whole cluster, a thousand people in one spot, all fighting for the wave, trying to get the wave. And then you'll see all these guys dotted all up the coast, and they'll sit there for three hours and not even get a wave. You know why? Because they just can't be bothered with whatever it may take in their world to get themselves in a position where the waves are breaking. It's too difficult, it's too hard, I'm too embarrassed, there's too many people. There's a hundred thousand reasons why they won't do it, but the truth is if you don't position yourself, you won't catch the wave. You can sit out there as long as you want. You've got to position yourself in order to ride that wave. And it's the same with God. If we want to experience God, if we want to encounter God, if we want to be the people that we read about in the Bible, we too have to position ourselves in that place so that when that wave comes, when the answer comes, we know it's God. When the solution comes, we know it's God. When this happens, when that happens, we're able straight away to make the connection that that's God because we're positioning ourselves in a place where we're putting ourselves in line for encounters. We're not sitting over here. Maybe, maybe sitting over here getting angry because no waves are coming. Now, there were waves coming, but they're over there. You're looking at them. Maybe we get bitter and twisted at the people who keep, oh, keep catching waves, 50 waves. Why, why do they keep getting all the waves? You know, why does God answer all their prayers? Why is God always blessing them? Why are they? Well, maybe, just maybe, maybe they have positioned themselves in the right spot. Maybe. God doesn't love them any more than he loves you, but positioning is important. We need to position ourselves in order to see God and experience God. Really quickly, just I want to give you three real quick examples and then we'll finish up. First one, let's have a quick look at, at Zacchaeus. Okay, everyone knows the story about Zacchaeus. They're about going there. Luke chapter 19, verse 1 to 4. Zacchaeus had a whole bunch of things in front of him, reasons why he couldn't see God. The Bible says he was short. The people in front of him were tall. He was despised. They didn't like him. That's right. They didn't like him. And so he couldn't see Jesus. So what did Zacchaeus have to do in order to see Jesus? He had to reposition himself in order to see Jesus. And when he repositioned himself, guess what happened? Jesus saw him and an encounter happened. As soon as he saw him. If we go back in the Old Testament and we have a look at Exodus chapter 3, I'll read this. Exodus chapter 3, verse 1 to 3. Moses, we all know the story. A burning bush. Exodus chapter 3, and verse 1 to 3, it says this. One day Moses was tending the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. And he went deep into the wilderness near Sinai, the mountain of God. Suddenly the angel of the Lord appeared to him as a blazing fire in a bush. Moses was amazed because the bush was engulfed in flames, but it didn't burn. Amazing, Moses said to himself. Really? Sometimes it weirds me out how underestimated the Bible is with certain things. Saw a burning bush and all he thought to say was amazing. I would have had a few more words to say. 
Moses said to himself, amazing, why isn't that bush burning up? Watch this, I must go over to see this. When the Lord saw that he had caught Moses' attention, God called to him from the bush. Moses is going about his own life, doing his own thing. He sees a bush. He makes a decision. He can either keep on walking going, wow, that's weird. <laughs> Look at that. But I've got to go to work today and do my job, so I haven't got time for that. Ain't nobody got time for that. But what does he do? The Bible says, he says, tells himself, I've got to reposition myself. I've got to go over here and have a look at this. And the Bible says, when God saw that he had got Moses' attention. Sounds a lot like Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus repositioned himself to get the attention of Jesus and put himself in line for an encounter. Moses repositioned himself, got God's attention and God gave him his. And he had an encounter with God. We've also got the story of Mary and Martha, which we won't go into right now in... in, uh, Luke chapter 10, Mary and Martha, same situation. One of them is running around, I think Mary's running around, cooking dishes, cooking meals and washing dishes, doing all sorts of things, and Martha decides she's going to sit at the foot of Jesus. You lazy woman, get up and serve the people. It's cultural, you've got to guess. You get up and you do the tasks. But she sits there and Mary gets in a fluster and goes to Jesus, well, why is she so lazy sitting there? Tell her to get up. You tell her to get up. Start helping me. You tell her to make some meals and clean some... And what does Jesus do? He says, you know what? She's chosen the best thing. She has positioned herself. She's made a decision. Yes, she should be doing this, could be, but she's made a decision to position herself at my feet and because of that, she had an encounter with God. My question today to each of us in our own world, why do, what do we need to do? Where do we need to maybe reposition ourselves? Because if we're not experiencing God like that, it's not God's will that we're not. It's not because God's not interested in you. It's not because God doesn't want to answer your prayer. It's not because God's not interested in helping you with your situations and problems. The problem is never with God. It's usually with our position. Am I sitting in line ready for the wave to come? Or am I sitting over here by myself? Am I in the right place? What do I need to do to reposition myself To get to that place where I am one of those people that's encountering a living God, not singing about, worshipping, giving, reading about just a philosophical, historical figure called Jesus Christ. What do I need to do to reposition myself? I don't know what you need to do, but I know what I need to do. I might need to climb a tree. You see, Zacchaeus' problem... He had problems that were bigger than himself, so he climbed a tree. Moses had the functions of everyday life going on. He had a job, he had a career, he had all this stuff, but he made a choice to turn aside. Martha had pressure from people to conform and do what everybody else was doing, have the same priorities as those people around her. But she made a decision. What decisions do you need to make? Are you happy to just have a handshake relationship with God? Are you happy just to be going to heaven? Or is there something inside of you that wants more? I'm not going to be happy. I'm not going to be happy until I'm seeing the dead raised, the sick healed, people being set free from demonic oppression, until I'm seeing people that don't know Christ, having the blinders taken off their eyes and having an encounter with God. I have no interest in going through the motions of a faith. I have no interest in just going through the motions of a religion. I've got, you know, I've got enough going on in my world. 
And I'm sure you do too. I think about that girl at work yesterday. You know what I want to do to her? I want to walk up to her and go, you know, I don't have any answers for your problems right now. I can't help you with your finances. I'm not rich. But you know what I do have? I want to give you in the name of Jesus. I want to speak to her with such conviction about God that's born out of my personal encounter, my personal relationship. That it's not just words. She can't sit there and go, oh yeah, that's right. It penetrates. I want to pray and not be happy to go, well, oh no, well, just, just keep believing, walk away, it'll be fine. Just keep trusting God. I want to pray and see God move. I want to speak and see God move. That's the relationship that I want with God and that's the church that I pray for and that I'm believing for. You never know when the opportunity is going to come, the answer, the prompting, the command, the word, whatever. Thank God. I'll finish up with this last story. When I was 20 years of age, I used to play rugby when I was a kid. And uh, 19 years of age, I got saved. I went off and I joined an organisation called Youth of the Mission six months into my relationship with God. God worked some miracles and got me there. Um, while I was there, I ended up being there for a few years and I ended up doing a trip to the Solomon Islands. Who's ever been to the Solomon Islands? Anyone been to the Solomon Wonderful, wonderful place. I, I was fortunate enough to go there before they had their uh, their civil war. And I've been back since and it, it's so sad to see what that nation, that, that war did to the people. But they were beautiful people. And anyway, I went over there one time and I was taking an outreach team over there and I, there was this bunch of islanders that would meet in a park and play a game of touch rugby. And I've always played league and union and touch and, and been quite sporty. So, so in the afternoons I'd go down with these guys and I'd just play with them. Anyway, after a couple of weeks, we were there for about a month. After two weeks of being there playing, one of the, the guys there came up to me and goes, look, Alan, we're playing a rugby tournament at Lawson Tama Stadium, which is the main stadium in Honiara. We're playing a rugby tournament there um, next weekend. Would, would you like to come and play with us? Come and join our team? <laughs> and I thought, oh, yeah, no worries, I'll go. It'll be a bit of fun. You know, I'm in the islands. I haven't played a game of rugby since I sort of left Balmer a couple of years earlier. Um, I wasn't very fit. I hadn't been doing any running or exercise or nothing. I'd been taking care of all the other aspects of life, but certainly not worrying about my fitness. So, but I said, yeah, no worries, I could do that easy, you know. Anyway, I get there and I get there on the day and I walk into Lawson Tama Stadium. What this guy failed to tell me was that this was the trials for the Solomon Island World Cup team. It was the selection trials. I'm the only white guy there. I'm the skinniest, I'm the scorn. They're big islanders, mad hatters, looking people flown in from Tonga, Samoa, all the, they're all in there. The stadium is absolutely chockers packed and he's little whitey just standing there, you know. So I get in there and he gives me the boots. He says, oh, don't worry, brother. It's all good. You'll be good. So no worries. So I get out there. It was 40, I think it was about 46 degrees. It was steamy and hot. I got out there in the first game. I reckon I lasted about four and a half minutes sweat pouring off me, I'm out of breath. Every time I got the ball, the whole stadium, you would hear them scream, kill the whitey! They would scream it. I'm talking thousands of people, crush the whitey! This is what they're screaming every time I got the ball. And guess what? The players said, okay, bang! Smashed me all over the park. Four and a half minutes, it felt like I was out there for an hour. I was battered, bruised, hammered. And then finally, after four and a half minutes, we're in our in goal. They've scored a try. They're taking a goal. And I said to the captain, I said, by the way, the guy that invited me in was the captain of Solomon Island World Cup team. Um, so he's a lovely, lovely bloke, good Christian man. But um, anyway, he, he, I went up to him. I said, man, I can't do this anymore. I'm going to go off. 
He said, no worries, there's a sub over there, just get out of the box. I start walking off towards the box. Everyone in the stadium to a man started going like this. They started making chicken noises and flapping their arms. Here I am with thousands of people making fun of me. I put my head down. I walked past the bench into the thing, threw my boots off and took off and gone. Hope I never see these people again, you know. It was terrible. But you know what? In reflection, what a fantastic opportunity I had. Not everybody gets the chance to play in a World Cup selection tournament for the Solomon Islands. But I got to do it. I came, I saw, unfortunately I didn't conquer. But you know why I didn't conquer? Because I wasn't prepared. I wasn't prepared. I wasn't ready. I wasn't in a position to make the most of that moment. And I guess that's my challenge to us today. And as we look at this issue of discipleship, let's go on from being just converts to being disciples. Isn't that what it's about? Isn't that what we want to do? Do you just want to be a convert to Christianity or do you want to be a disciple of Jesus? But if we want to be disciples of Jesus, then we've got to position ourselves according to the word of God so that we can encounter Christ the way he intended for his people to encounter them and become the church that he intended the church to be. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, I want to thank you this morning, God. I want to thank you, Holy Spirit. You are present with us right now. You are speaking to us. You are challenging us right now as a church, also as individuals. And Father, we we want to, uh, Lord... Uh, just thank you for the position that we are in right now, God. If nothing else, we have accepted your invitation. We've shaken your hand. And Father, we thank you for salvation. We thank you for, uh, Lord, the assurance that when we pass through this life, we will go into eternity and we will be with you. No matter what happens this side of heaven, the other side is going to be wonderful and fantastic. But Lord, I pray this week as we think about the difference between what is a convert and what is a disciple? Father, I pray that you, Holy Spirit, would speak to each of us individually. Lord, where are the areas of our life where we need to reposition ourselves? God, what are the things that maybe we need to, to turn away from? And what are the things we need to turn towards? So that, God, we can be the disciples that you want us to be, that we can be conformed into your image, and that we can move forth in this world in the power and the anointing of the Holy Spirit. We thank you, Father. We pray for a great time of fellowship around the coffee right now. Father, I pray you would be with everybody as they travel home. Give us all a fantastic, blessed week. And God, give us opportunity to share our love for you with others around us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless. Uh, please don't run off. We've got tea and coffee and a great morning tea up the back there. Have a chat with someone.